What does trauma do to your physical health? Today I have my friend Nicole joining me. Thanks for being here, Nicole. She's also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, and she and I, like many others, shared the history of abuse by a family member. You may recall that in my first episode about surviving childhood sexual abuse, I addressed the impact of trauma in my emotional well-being. I was shy, afraid, and insecure. And I had no idea of what to expect in a relationship. I did not touch on the impact of abuse to my physical health. For many years, up until recently, I wasn't really aware of how the abuse changed me in all the different aspects of my life, including my health. And during a friendly conversation with Nicole, she brought up this issue to light. So here we are, opening our hearts to this topic. So let's share a little bit of our experience in this subject. Nicole, how do you think the sexual abuse has affected your physical health? Thanks, Patricia, for having me. I'm really excited to be on this episode with you and kind of discuss how it's manifested physically for me. Um, I know we were talking about it because I was giving you examples of how recently I've come to an understanding that some of this trauma has really manifested physically in ways that I wasn't expecting. Like for mm -hmm. me, when I was younger, I realized through a conversation with my sibling the other day that when I was maybe eight years old, I had been wetting the bed, even though I had been fully potty trained. There had been years in which I hadn't. It just was something that had come up again. And that was kind of told by me, like, hey, that was like the first telltale sign that you were being sexually abused. That regressive wetting of the bed happens in children who've been abused. And it was something that I had even brought to the attention of my mother at the time. This was my sibling saying that and that nothing was done about it. So it was just interesting. There are definite ticks and physical things that manifest that you can look out for as well as emotional things that most people are looking out for these red flags emotionally but there's also such a physical component and how it's affected your health like me personally I suffer from fibromyalgia and through multiple different studies that have been done it's there's such a strong connection between physical abuse and that kind of being like the catalyst for these autoimmune diseases and how they are manifesting in our bodies. And there's such a strong tie to trauma that it's just something that I thought we could discuss. And another person yeah. who's a professional in the field, Gabor Mate, like he has several conversations on the subject as well, which people can look up, but I yeah, just found that so interesting. There is a lot of resources on this subject mm -hmm. um, and everybody can, can of course, uh, do their own searches. I am glad that we're talking about this because I know you like to uh, learn about everything and you <laughs> love to read. Yes. Uh, but let me ask you something or, or make a comment about this uh, experience of yours. Wedding the bed when you were about eight years old, I am thinking as a parent, of course, and uh, you know, I'm one of eight children and mm -hmm. I, I don't remember if uh, there was uh, one of 
as uh, the girls or my brother uh, wetting the bed at certain age. But what I am trying to, to, to get to is what would my parents' reaction would have been if one of us had wetted the bed? At an age that is not considered age appropriate anymore. I think they would have just assumed that um, uh, we were scared or we had too much to drink or uh, we had nightmares. It was easy to take the easy answers first. Yeah, and, and I think if it had been just a one-off, that maybe would have made sense as an approach. But for me, I think it happened more than once. I want to say it happened maybe five times during... And it was always surrounding, like... After the abuse took place, that's when it would happen. So it was never consecutively in a row. So I mm -hmm. wouldn't say, oh, I wet the bed every Tuesday. It was more so sporadically across the year because there were only certain times in which I was seeing my abuser and he was abusing me. Um, and that, you know, would happen after a holiday when everyone would get together. So it would happen infrequently enough for them to want to avoid it. But their reaction was very strong very much into shaming, very much into saying it's your fault, you need to work on this, we, you know, we already potty trained you, this is so ridiculous, you have to go to school and see peers, you know, you're inadequate as a person, and just like, right, not, not a reaction that like loving parents would give you, but that was their reaction on if we embarrass you enough, if we shame you enough, like it will scare you or you'll be so scare afraid you, you won't you do stop. it again. Right. And it did eventually stop, but it, I don't... I don't attribute it to them shaming me out No, of it. no, that created even more trauma. Instead of, uh, you know, trying to figure out why is it that this is happening yeah. at your age, mm -hmm. I mean, they made things worse for you. So that added to the tr already existing trauma of uh, sexual abuse by right. this other person. Mm -hmm. And then your parents are blaming you. Right. And That's they did, just... I think that was because my father's almost very textbook narcissist, but it was very much something where things that happened in the household were my fault. And me, another thing that happened very physically as a manifestation of abuse, because he also abused me, was that I'd suffer from these severe panic attacks. So I'd have these very severe panic attacks in which my hands went straight, like I stopped breathing, my lips went purple. I would just be on the floor having this panic attack, not able to move. I'd experience like mild paralysis and they'd have to take me to the hospital at that point because I wasn't breathing. Mm -hmm. So I'd go to the hospital, they'd hook me up on an IV to rehydrate me because I had just been so severely dehydrated that I needed two or three bags of liquid each time that I went. Um, and they'd run, you know, they'd run the blood work, they'd run the tests, they'd tell me everything is normal. Um, after the second or third one, that's when I started having conversations with people at school. They'd have people come and ask questions. I had only found out later that this wasn't the first time, like the authorities had been in contact with our family. But at that point, my mother had already learned from the previous situation and had kind of guided me through saying, oh, this these people, if you answer them, they'll break up our family. You know that your father's just grumpy and you know, it's not, it's not his fault. He has a high stress job, but don't break up the family. You need to just say that everything is fine and then they'll leave you alone. They're just trying to, to cause drama when there isn't any. 
Like, so, of so course, they tried to hide. hide. They sure. tried to hide what was happening, what was really happening. And not only that, they tried to hide it, but they put that responsibility on you. Correct. Which wasn't a responsibility, but a fault in you. Yes. Yeah, because some of the other ways that it manifests, like hypervigilance, I know it's, it's a term being used a lot recently, and it's kind of that reaction when you, you're so aware of everything that's going on, you have these big, big reactions to it. Like if someone comes up behind you and taps you on the shoulder, if you freak out and you just like, it throws you off and you're having such a strong reaction to it, you just have, that's a physical manifestation of trauma and how it's impacted you. Like now you're on high alert. Right. And it's part of, you know, your nervous system is so dysregulated. Your parasympathetic is just, you know, going through it is super, you're on alert to the point where small things like somebody locking their car or somebody honking their horn can just set you off. Yes, completely agree. It's, it's, uh, there is no uh, control of your reactions anymore because you have been in such an abusive situation. And I am so sorry you had gone through that. And you're still living through it. I mean, you're oh, still yeah. trying to I recover still try each to... day. Yeah, because it could, it could happen for anything. Like, I, you know, I'll be in the grocery store and somebody will brush by my cart and I'll just freak out and have such a strong reaction and have to realize, like, okay, no, you're in a place that's not home, but you're still safe. Like, you have to do this whole grounding technique yes. of figuring out where you are and that it's okay and that no one's actually coming for you. They're not going to hit you. You're just shopping and yes. someone wasn't yes. paying attention. It's a good thing to learn these techniques, though. Yeah, it and that brings took us time. back to reality. Yeah, it's all about practice, too. Mm -hmm. We can make it easier for ourselves. But going back to the... Uh, the sexual abuse and how it has affected your health. Mm -hmm. What other things can you share with the listeners that uh, might help them being aware of any uh, any ailments that they may have in their life now as they would relate or could relate to their sexual abuse and trauma? In terms of, like, I know we talked about wetting the bed. Um, the other thing is, like, when you when you have those strong reactions, like, one of the things that would happen if I tried to be intimate with a new partner, if they were kissing me, I'd just start screaming out of nowhere. Like, that's kind of a, a very verbal and physical manifestation, but it's more so if you're having those feelings of severe uncomfort, uncomfortness, if you're having, like, these these physical reactions that you're backing away, you're flinching. It's, it doesn't seem like loving, even though that person could be loving towards you. Like that's a really big sign that maybe you're suppressing feelings or maybe you, you did go through something and you want to bring awareness to that and honor that, you know, something bad did happen. Even if like for me, I tried to say, okay, what happened to me was kind of normal. Like I tried to normalize, the abuse that I went into saying, well, I didn't have to want for anything financially. So that means I could not have been abused. Mm -hmm. And I tried to reason it away. So when these things were coming up, it's more so, although, you know, your nervous system is out of whack because of everything that happened to you, like your intuition is still intact. And that if those things are coming up for you, if you're having these physical manifestations, there's deeper meaning to it and it's something where you can you need to pay more attention to it or there's a mm -hmm. lot of I think there's new studies coming out even against so there's the fibromyalgia piece of it where you're feeling pain more intensely which is also related to the dis 
regulation of your nervous system, but there's also even, I think the thyroid issues have been linked to it as well. And that's also something that I suffer from. So having that annual checkup with your doctor, getting your blood work done, and then kind of thinking through, you know, is this genetic? Is there a family tie here? Um, is it something where there's maybe something deeper and kind of going through that category, that mental memory of, you know, what has been going on in my life and bringing attention to it. Like I'd say that's helpful as well. So trust yourself a little more. Yeah. I, I think uh, many of us suffer from different uh, 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 illnesses or, or problems with our physical health and we uh, don't know where they're coming from. Now that you mentioned the um, thyroid problem, mm -hmm. I remember that that was something that came up in my life just recently, and I am trying to remember the dates, and I think it is connected to the assault from this doctor. Yeah. Right? Wasn't that about the same time? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and then... Because you that, that is your endocrine system, and that's your hormones, and of course when these things happen, like that plays a role in how physically your body is taking it. Like the same kind of way that stress is affecting you, like your stress is largely impacted by what things you're going through, what emotions are happening to you as the result of abuse that has happened to you. Right. So when a system that's largely regulated by these similar functioning organs or, you know, systems inside mm -hmm. of you is going wrong, like there's a domino effect. I am, uh, I am actually a little um, surprised with this discovery at this very second because I didn't make the connection before, but thank you. I mean, I'm in, in awe that uh, I didn't recognize the connection between the assault back in uh, January 2020 and the diagnosis of thyroid disease. This is something that my doctor discovered in my blood work. It yeah. Whenever you have a problem with your thyroid, what you're told is that this is something that you're going to have to live with for the for rest, the rest of, your, of life. your life. Yeah, correct. And I had my uh, monthly checkup, blood work, etc., and it was elevated, and I was taking medicine. Mm -hmm. But one day, I just uh, felt that I didn't need to take that medicine, and I started taking it less and less. Mm -hmm. And I told my doctor, and he was okay with it. Mm -hmm. And, to and the, you ran the blood am, work and you are probably... Yes, exactly. The blood work was clear from any thyroid problems. Fine. I am fine. Yeah. I am not taking any medication for thyroids anymore. Yeah. And so that's... it was a manifestation of the last assault, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, that completely tracks. Yeah. Mine is more severe now just because the antibodies are so high and... I've been, I have like chronic inflammation, which is also tied to the levels in your, you know, your parasympathetic nervous system being out of whack and having chronic inflammation and having it for so many years, like it's pretty detrimental to your overall health. Mm -hmm. um, so mine's going to be more long-term, but yeah. it is something where I realize, like, wow, this is such a strong connection between everything that my doctor is telling me and then everything that I had experienced. Yeah, it so makes sense. Yeah. Everything is connected. I mean, mm -hmm. our mental health our physical health and why not say it our spiritual health as well so another physical effect that i connect to the emotional trauma 
is that I was diagnosed with, with asthma when I was about seven or eight years old. And you may recall from previous episodes telling you about my sexual assault, abuse or rape when I was about seven. But during one or a couple of my EMDR sessions, I was made aware that the trauma seated very closely to my throat. I believe this was not only connected to the pulmonary affection, mm -hmm. but every time that we work on the memories of rape, I felt this huge pressure combined with pain in my throat. Yeah. So it really does make sense that uh, having a hand covering my mouth when I was raped, yeah. uh, when I was a child and when I was a teenager, uh, it would you know, prevent me from, from saying anything. The need to scream, to, to push away, to ask for help was being fully suppressed by someone. Not, le not letting me scream yeah. was giving me the pain on my throat, which came up during the EMDR sessions. And became asthma for you. Yeah. And, you know, after yeah. the seven-year-old experience, mm -hmm. if you want to call it that, mm -hmm. uh, it became asthma. And I carried the asthma until, um, well, I had asthma until I was about 16 years old. Yeah. And then I was raped. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> another one, another round. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that actually, that makes so much sense because one of my last panic attacks that I had right when I was turning 15, it was, you know, right before my quinceanera, um, when I went to the hospital, it developed, my panic attack developed into asthmatic bronchitis. And I was on an inhaler for a month after oh. that attack. Um, so you saying you had asthma makes perfect sense because I was diagnosed with asthmatic bronchitis that day. And then they also sent me home saying I had a severe panic attack. Yeah. 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 And also I had panic attacks. I mm -hmm. haven't had a panic attack in a while. Not that I have uh, mm -hmm. exposed myself to what what triggers my panic attacks. Mm -hmm. But um, there is definitely a connection between our physical health and our mental health. Mm -hmm. The trauma and all of our experiences from the many years that we have been around. Yep, for sure. Yeah. So are there any actions that you have taken in your recovery that had visible positive act, uh, effects to your health? So definitely, I mean, physical therapy has always been kind of my go-to when something goes wrong um, with my body. Uh, that has been helpful for the long term, but also for just like building strength. Because with the fibromyalgia, I also get severe muscle spasms, which leave my muscles like very weak. So making sure that I have somewhat of a consistent schedule and activity, like not only helps your mental health because, you know, activity is linked to being out in nature and getting that like blood pumping and raising your like levels of, I guess, oxytocin and serotonin. Um, but that's just been very helpful for me to kind of calm down is having something that's predictable, that's scheduled and that I can use those exercises, which were really gentle, to help me moving forward. And then also just having that standing appointment with my primary care doctor. I feel like I have some friends that have not been to the doctor in six years, 
And for me, having that checkup and having like tangible evidence in front of me on how my condition is being managed is really helpful because I like to be in the know of like, hey, what is it that I'm taking? And having a portal where I can kind of check up on this data helps me feel like I'm making progress, mm -hmm. which has been really important to me as well. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, having physical therapy and the mental health is definitely, definitely yeah. something that... Uh, and that's, I mean, that's only accessible if you have the health insurance too. So that's kind of what, anytime I go to a new job, when we're discussing salary, that's really important. But what's more important to me is their benefits mm -hmm. because I need to know like, hey, what's covered in insurance-wise? I know I'll probably be injured. I know I'll probably need to use the insurance. So that's been making sure that they have a health insurance that's going to be something I can use and not have to spend so much of my budget in a year towards. Yes. It's important. And if you don't have that, I mean, any kind, just walking for 30 minutes a day, that really helps. Um, apparently, like having your legs resting on the wall, like the inverted position where mm -hmm. you're sitting against the wall and you have your legs up on right. the wall, it helps with your body's inflammation. It helps with you being able to sleep better. It also helps um, anxiety levels as well. Something about that inverted position mm -hmm. like really helps calm you down. And I've noticed that that has really helped and oh, that's nice. for free. I'm going to start doing that too. Yeah. And even like, I don't enjoy them because it really shocks me, but the cold showers, that whole shock to this, to your system, system like resets you. Mm -hmm. So you could be going through something, you put your face in cold water and you're like, whoa, it just, it's kind of like when you walk through a door and you don't know where you are. Right. It's the same thing, but for your body's system to just calm you down. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that helps. Yeah, you know what? I, you just remind me again. Every time you say something, I, I'm reminded of something. During my EMDR sessions, I remember saying after uh, we finished one of the processes, yeah, I feel like I just hate the cold water at the beach, let's say at the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. And I am out of it. Mm -hmm. It was a shock. It was cold, but it was refreshing. Right. And it was like a reset. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and it definitely. physically is a reset. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily pleasant no. because I don't like cold water. Oh, me neither. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, okay, let's restart. Mm -hmm. Let's do this. Okay. Go to the bathroom. Get the cold, cold water on your yeah. face. But, hey, you're restarting and resetting. That's a really good um, suggestion. Do you have any other recommendations or suggestions for the listeners on how to bring awareness to the repercussions that sexual assault bring to their physical health. I mean, I think the only real additional thing to say is like seek a therapist because that part of the, I thought I needed a therapist for, I was having like issues with my depression and managing how that was manifesting as me being more angry and agitated. But through those conversations and doing the EMDR and having the ability to like gain access to different tools once you started regulating the emotions you were going through like it opened discussions to brand new things that I didn't know all kind of built into the story of how my body's working how my mind is working and what became a focus on just hey I'm, I'm really angry all the time I don't know why I'm angry let's have a conversation about that. That's how I, we even talked about how things that happened in your childhood, like the abuse that I survived from the sexual abuse that happened to me multiple different times in multiple different ways, like how that was contributing to the depression that I was being seen for. 
So, and that's not something like your friend can tell you when you guys are having a heart to heart on the couch, <laughs> but right. it's, you know, you need those friendships to help be there for the moment, but seeking the help of a professional really gives you just a, a bigger scope to look at your life with a more focused lens and that knowledge to help back up things that you didn't even know about yourself. Yes. Let me just say something. Uh, you were talking about the insurance and, you know, we are very lucky that mm -hmm. we have jobs and we always look for jobs that can provide us really good health insurance. Mm -hmm. um, there are so many people that for one reason or another, they uh, don't have a job and they don't have the benefit of uh, health insurance. Mm -hmm. But even when you don't have health insurance, first of all, we now have universal coverage. Yeah, that's And that's good. an amazing thing. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people don't believe in it, but it's right. not a matter of believing in oh, it no, or not. Oh, no, it's a basic not. human right. So <laughs> it's, it's something that everyone should have. Mm-hmm. If you can't work for whatever reason, you should still have health insurance mm -hmm. because we all have that right. Especially here where uh, health coverage is so expensive. Just remember the health uh, government health now mm -hmm. is, uh, is based upon what income you have or what income you don't have. Correct. Also, there are many, many... Uh, benefits that you can find find through your local government. Mm -hmm. I've been in uh, in different sessions uh, that my county provided for uh, support groups, even EMDR, oh, and yeah. uh, it's just a benefit that they give. Not because I don't have money or because I don't uh, have insurance. Right. It was. I mean, after the assault, I was desperately looking for mm -hmm. a support group, and I couldn't find any. Mm -hmm. Nothing. It was incredible. I couldn't find anything. I was. Uh, it was just and terrible. So you got. You found it through local government. How I you... found it through the county. Oh. Okay. And uh, and I tell you that service service was amazing. The mm -hmm. group was really good. That's how I started doing groups. <laughs> so it's been two years doing all this uh, this uh, therapies, uh, group therapy, support groups. Um. I, as I said before, I've done everything and I will continue to do anything and everything to continue feeling better and feeling happier and, and, and having a better life. That's what we all want, I think. Yeah. And I think especially with people who have children, like there's so many services just offered through the county and through the school system. Like when my son had issues with feeling overwhelmed and inundated by certain assignments from school and he was very stressed out like there's a full school psychologist there's a school counselor they have different tools and sessions and group sessions even just for your children and the county itself they put on like a free mental health wellness seminar I want to say at least annually yes so and those are they have really fun classes like the one that I had signed up for was there's like a music therapy where they're bringing in an actual therapist to discuss like what kind of playlist you can use for your mood. There's one on executive functioning from a school psychologist. There's just so much out there. There is so many services that are offered to mm -hmm. everyone in the school systems. And it's just that a lot of people don't know. Yeah, and a lot of people are just, I mean, maybe they're even, they grew up in a family where it's not, it's looked down upon. Yeah. But if you think about it more so in a way of, oh, what can I learn from this or do I have the free time to give to this? Then it becomes something that you, you go and you realize like, wow, this is helpful to me. Yeah. 
So remember that there are resources everywhere. We just have to look for them. Mm-hmm. And hopefully this conversation like helps somebody just look on their own county website or just find yes. something. Yes, yes, there is. Uh, again, very important for us, especially if you have kids, mm-hmm. go to your school, ask them. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just Google it. If you don't have access to a computer, you go in person. Yeah. Uh, or, or ask friends, ask mm-hmm. people, ask people. There are many people that are willing to help you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to become best friends. You just have to ask for help. Right. I mean, we have to put more faith into our human fellows. Our sense of community, even. Sense I know that that's something I struggle with myself to this day. Yeah. Yeah, well, because, I mean, we have traumas and we're not necessarily trusting of others. That's fair. But there are good people around and we need to believe that again. Mm -hmm. There are good people around. Um, Not everyone is a predator. Not everyone is out to hurt us. Mm -hmm. I am here and I am trying to do my little bit to help anyone in any way I can. Mm -hmm. So is Nicole. Yeah. Nicole and what I've learned is like even this. the even the people who I considered trash, which is still a strong word, I just like to be petty. But even those people I found they're more like self-serving than really out to hurt you. And it's more so of how you interpret their behaviors. Like I used to take things so personally because personalization is obviously another way that trauma can affect you. You start personalizing everything that happens to you. And it took me a long time to just kind of talk out a scenario and then say, You know, even the coldest take on this, this person was just looking out for them versus I was looking for them to validate me in some way. And it doesn't mean they're, you know, terrible. It just means that they're very self-interested and it's not a good fit. So it's just, there really are good people out there and there, people are not in, I don't believe people are inherently evil, but it's just something where you also kind of have to see things through the context of your lived experiences Mm -hmm. and also separate some of these biases that you have so that you can gain the confidence to make new connections. Yeah. Because for me, I was like, okay, well, worst case scenario, they're probably just, maybe they're jerks, but they're not going to want to come to my room in the middle of the night and rape me. Like that was, it seems so small. And I said that so casually, but that really was something that took me time to believe yeah yeah i mean and we have to start somewhere and there will be risks i am sure but we need to believe in and and, and really when you mention uh uh personalizing everything it's uh, it brings me back to this magical little book that i read some time ago Mm -hmm. uh the four agreements Oh, you know what? I hear that so much, but I never read it. Uh, it is a little book that you can read in one day, less than one day. Mm-hmm. And the one part that really stuck to me is don't take things personally. Mm-hmm. Because it's not about you. It's about the person that is giving you whatever is giving you. Right. When I tell you something, it's my perception of things. It's not who you are. It's not how you are. Mm-hmm. It's the other person's doing, right? saying perceptions it's just not don't take it personally read that little book it's amazing it does magic anyway i think we're gonna have to close up otherwise we will end up with a super super long um (laughs) episode and yeah i think we got through some good some good some good personal insight yeah (laughs) yes thank you so much nicole you're a great friend i admire you i think the world of you I think you're an incredible person a wonderful 
human being, beautiful inside and out, a super mom, and I am really glad that you are in my life. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to share this with you because I'm really glad that you are being open to the world, sharing things so candidly and being a resource for others. So I really do appreciate that and I'm very inspired by it. All right. So. With that, we're closing. All right. See you in a couple of weeks, guys. Bye. Bye.